From conies to cheesecake and barbecue to brunch, we all have meals that mean something special to us. This podcast takes a deep dive into the traditions, delicacies, and legends that have shaped what we know and love about food. Each week, we'll learn from a guest about how food has impacted their relationships and how they view the world. This is Season to Taste. This week on the podcast, I am extremely excited to welcome my professor, Professor Battaglia. Um, He taught my numerical methods class this semester. Professor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jacob. It was wonderful to have you and uh, many, about 124 of your colleagues in the lecture. And I'm glad that at the end of the class, you asked me to come and speak with you about food that excites me. And I know it's an exciting subject for you too. So sounds like we are two food geeks on this podcast. Yes. So a few times throughout the semester, you've sent pictures of the food you're making to us in the, in the yes. group chat or um, told us about it. And man, it just, it looks like some great stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to hear how'd you learn to cook? Like why, why did it all start? Okay, so essentially you're asking me for my food journey. Let me think for a second. I think as a kid, I always like to kind of mix ingredients together and cook. Now, when I used to be, I think when I was in high school, even maybe younger than that, uh, my parents would, okay, my dad was in the army, the Indian army in India, and they would go out for a party or something. And I was the golden child of my grandma. Okay, so she would let me do anything anything, literally, okay? So I could do nothing wrong, and my sister, who was one year elder to me, could do nothing right. So it gave me an opportunity when my mom was not watching the kitchen, so I could go in and kind of mess around and create, you know, whatever I had, and most of those dishes, I think, were not very tasty, so I only would offer them to my grandma to have. But my memories of when I was a kid, I still remember is my mom has always been an excellent cook, always. I remember this was way back in the 1980s when baking ovens were not very common in India. She had, well, I still remember the name is called Baby Belly. It is a small oven. And even now my mom still has that in her home. Wow. So she used to bake these things. She used to make some of the wonderful dishes. I also grew up in a family of hunters. So almost every weekend, my dad and me, and many times my mom, my sister, we would go on hunting trip and we would come mm-hmm. back. And it was my job typically to generally, we would go partridge hunting. So we would go and bring the birds back. It was typically the job of the youngest child in the family to skin the birds. And then my mom would nice. cook the fresh chicken uh, if we got it you know, uh, from a shop or in most mm-hmm. cases, it was uh, fresh partridges that we would uh, put together and mom would cook it fresh and we would eat it. So in some ways, I found that the smell of that food brings us as human beings a lot of comfort, okay? Now, let me just say this up front. I know every man loves his mom's cooking because that brings to you certain memories. You love your wife's cooking also, but mom's cooking has its own special place because there are certain memories attached, the way it smells. So those are the kind of things I grew up with. 
And I remember when I was in India, I went to college. I stayed in the dorms. The food there was not very good. I didn't have a choice. You couldn't cook in your room. So when I moved to the U.S., uh, I had two roommates. So, you know, I was thrown into this uh, hodgepodge of being able to cook in the kitchen. And so I remember I only used to cook two dishes. That's all I used to cook. There was cauliflower and uh, potatoes and chicken curry two things. And I never learned at that time, there wasn't a Google, right? So you couldn't like today, the right. first thing we do is we go and Google and try to figure it out. I didn't have that luxury. So I think for about six or seven years, I did that. And then uh, I got married uh, to a young woman uh, from India also. And so uh, when she came over to the US, she like a typical South Asian family, she took on the responsibility of cooking. But I still remember one day she asked me to cook something. And I think I used some sort of a white sauce, which was from a bottle, and it came so bad. It did not taste good at all. So my wife at that time told me you did it intentionally because you never wanted to cook. (laughs) So I actually did not cook then uh, till my ex-wife and me separated. This was about 10 years ago. And that is when I think that I kind of owned my own cooking food. I find Mm. it to be a big stress reliever. Now, I remember that when my ex-wife had moved out uh, that summer, my mom came to visit from India and she's also visiting right now. We were fortunate to be able to get her back uh, into the US uh, before the flights closed down in Delhi, as you know, Mm -hmm. is a huge pandemic right now. And so with that, uh, my mom came over And so I asked mom, I said, mom, please teach me how to make, do Indian cooking. And so she said, why don't you come and watch me? So she would make a dish and I would watch it. And I would ask her saying, mom, could you tell me how much spice or how much, uh, you know, salt I should put, how much pepper I should put, how much onions, how much tomatoes or potatoes? And the response to me was, I cook by approximation. I said, what? She said, I cook by approximation. And what's interesting is that a lot of the world cooking that I found out later is indeed done by approximation. What this means is there are some general rules of thumb. For example, Indian cooking, if you are using garlic and you're using ginger, you you use more garlic than ginger. But there is no particular set that for this much amount, you have to put two spoons or three spoons or one Mm -hmm. spoon. So every time the dish that comes out has a different flavor. So I I have this red diary that I have, and I'm glad it's never caught on fire. It's happened with a friend of mine who wrote all these dishes yeah. down from his mom, and one day it caught fire. Okay, oh, so no. I, I got this diary down, and I started to write what she was doing. So I had to approximately figure out, you know, how much she was putting in into different dishes. So the first dishes that I learned were simple, you know, when I was cooking chicken curry and vegetables, when I was in grad school, I was not doing, I had no idea what I was doing and uh, only I could eat it. But um, once uh, I learned from my mom, I kept writing everything according to what I thought were the correct measurements. And then as I cooked Indian food, it became clear to me that I could not cook using measurements. So I transitioned about, I would say about nine years ago, a year after I learned it from my mom, uh, mm-hmm. into doing approximation cooking when it comes to cooking foods from South Asia. 
So I cook foods from India, Pakistan. Uh, I do uh, Goan food, South Indian food, Afghanistani food, biryani and others. That's where I kind of began uh, to be able to cook. So my mom comes every summer. So every summer when she would come back for about three or four months, I would learn a few dishes from her. Mm -hmm. And my kids, uh, I have three kids. I have now a daughter who is uh, in Cincinnati. She works for an insurance company. They have another daughter who's going to UC Cincinnati and a son who is here in Dublin Kaufman High School in Columbus in 10th grade. And my son in particular used to grade every food. So whatever food I made, now I'm a single parent, okay? My mom would come at three months and then she was gone. So my son would grade food from one to 10. Anything less than seven was never to be made in the house. Okay. So he had a very high bar of food that would need to be cooked. So I began cooking Indian food. And then over time, I transitioned into cooking Chinese food. And for that one, I think I, there was a book I used to begin with, which is simple Chinese cooking. What I interestingly found was quite a contrast that Indian cooking is primarily made with spices. Mm -hmm. There are very few liquids that you add to Indian cooking other than water. Very few. On the other hand, Chinese cooking is all about mixing liquids in the appropriate fashion for the sauce. And one of the favorite dishes my kids have is the one that's in the background that you see is Kung Pao shrimp. And this uses, um, uh, you know, uh, the liquids that I have came from a Chinese store, which are abundance now. So what's nice about being a global world today is even cities like Columbus, which 20 years ago, you would not find the Chinese, Mexican, Indian spices. You find them today, Mm -hmm. sauces. And so that really has allowed me to be able to expand what I do, I would say that for some reason, I am not, and maybe this is because of me being a male and a gentleman, I, for some reason, like cooking dishes that don't have too many ingredients. means I'm fine with 10, but if you have 20 or 30 ingredients, I normally am not attracted to be able to cook that dish. So I've kind of found that myself. The second thing is being from South Asia, I like food that's on the spicier side. And so I think in this picture, you can probably see that I have this um, red pepper, solid red pepper that I have torn apart that you can see around the dish that is in the background. I had the opportunity and privilege to visit uh, South Korea several years ago for a work conference. And there I went to a traditional South, I was alone. So I went to a traditional South Asian eatery in which I had to sit on the floor cross-legged and they served me all these different foods and there were about 20 of them. And Mm. one of them was super spicy, but very, very tasty. It was a flavor I had never tasted. And now I know it was the umami flavor. See, in South Asia, there is no umami flavor. So I had never been exposed Uh to two things. One is umami flavor. The other is beef is not available in India for many, many religious and cultural reasons. So I never Mm. learned how to cook beef. I never knew how to handle it. I never knew how to cook it. And even today, what you will find is my most difficult meat to cook for me is still beef because I I cook it all the time, but I don't have it. I have to go to other people who are, so I don't, with beef, I will never experiment. I will always go with the recipe. 
that particular dish was called sundubu which is made with soft tofu and with gochagaru which is a korean spice and so that in fact is one of the favorite dishes of our family and it has this extremely soft tofu that goes into it mm-hmm. and so i've learned to do that i do a lot of chinese cooking i um, in addition i do some italian but for some reason italian food has not attracted me too much the one dish i do yeah. like to bake is i have a neighbor here and they just moved in about a year ago so we were talking one day and she sent me over a loaf of bread that she called amish friendship bread i had a bite i'm like wow how have i lived my life as yet for never having it now this is a dish as you might be aware that the amish don't use yeast so they have to allow time for the dough to ferment right and so the way this is done is and the reason why it's called friendship bread is you have to take a beginning of the dough from somebody else right so my neighbor gave me the recipe and then in a ziploc bag gave me the beginner's dough which has to stay in the oven obviously off for a week and every week you squeeze it that's how natural fermentation and you take the air out and after a week you are then ready to cook your first loaf of bread and after actually if i remember it's two weeks yeah it's two week after two weeks you got to wait for two weeks wow yeah first loaf of bread but then what do you do is you then take out four portions of the star you keep one or two for yourself and the others you give to your other friends that's why it's called amish friendship bread and it takes yeah. two weeks from that to have a new loaf so that is a favorite of my kids also one thing that i have always remembered when i came to ohio state uh you know my family in india has been was two oceans away in addition my grandma my grandpa had died a long time before i was gone and my grandma was i said you know i was the golden eye child of my grandma now, i had those very fond memories and so here in columbus i had an old couple uh, that you know i kind of um, they adopted me or i adopted them kind of you know they mm-hmm. my grandparents yeah. so i used to visit them every friday when i got married you know my kids would go and we would eat food and the older lady has never bg she made this wonderful food that had the smell that i had never ever smelled indian food or south asian food that was that smelled so beautiful an amazing yeah. aroma and i remember that uh, when she passed away i obviously missed her i had a chance to go to um let's see i'm trying to remember albuquerque new mexico i had gone for a conference and her daughter Bee's daughter who was at the time living there invited me over uh for dinner. And of course I got into my rental car. I went to their home that was in the where the ski resort is. It is in the plain so you can see the lift going up in Albuquerque. And uh as I stood outside the door, I almost rang the bell. But then I smelled some 
I smell the same food yeah. that we used to cook. So what I did was I actually didn't ring the bell. I stood there. And I just let time go for a few minutes. It was as if she was on the other side. That's awesome. Then I rang the bell. I told her daughter that I thought she was, it was as if she was right behind the corner. So in some ways, food evokes in us as human beings, certain emotions and connections that, mm-hmm. and interdependencies that we don't realize otherwise. I think it brings back memories. And it's in the end, it's all about creating memories that are significant, joyful, and important. Absolutely. Man, you hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly what this podcast is about. That's awesome. I think that's that's such a great experience that you can look back on of like, you know, those memories you had um, with that family and then just feeling like she was with you when you smelled that food again. Like I can definitely relate to that with other foods. I make one of her dish which is a spicy um, rice pilaf that I make. And mm-hmm. uh, the, in my diary, it's, it's listed as a BG, BG rice. And so my kids also call it by the same name, BG rice. So, you know, when we cook it, we remember her, we honor her, and we think of her. So in some ways, yeah. our parents, yeah. our ancestors live through us, you know what I mean? Through the cooking and the many, and that's the way we honor. Yeah, no, I mean, I love family recipes for reasons just like that. And even sometimes watching them, the recipes shift over the years, um, because it's kind of like a family history of someone didn't like it as spicy or someone liked it really spicy. And it's just morphs a little bit, but everyone makes it their own and it's still part of the family. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned a recipe that you still cook of hers. Are there, and there are particular recipes you mentioned of, of your mother's. Is there one, like what's your favorite recipe of your mother's to still make? I think the favorite recipe that my mom used to make that I still make, I think would have to be biryani. A biryani is a special kind of rice that is only cooked on very special occasions. I remember we probably only ate it maybe two or three times a year. So it's not a dish mm-hmm. that is, and let's keep in mind that in South Asia, uh, meat is quite expensive in chicken. So you only eat uh, meat and chicken, you know, on an occasional basis. Uh, I remember it was it used to be cooked in layers. So you have rice that is half cooked, and then you alternate layers of cooked chicken, and then you have uh, uh, garam masala, and mixed with uh, mixed with yogurt, and then you have fried onions, and those layers alternate each other, and the rice is half cooked. So after you put this whole contraption together, then you seal it in an airtight, and then you put it on low, and it cooks under its own steam. Hmm. That I would say is my most favorite dish, and I have about cook it I would say every month, month and a half, and I can make it with chicken biryani or i would use lamb and i don't know if you are aware and your uh, viewers that osu has a meat lab 
Did you know that, yeah, Jacob? I did. Yes. So I only buy my lamb from the meat lab because it is raised uh, on farms uh, across Ohio that Ohio State owns. And mm. uh, I love lamb chops, but I will only buy lamb from the OSU meat lab. So if any of you who are in Columbus, Ohio, want to get good, they also have excellent beef. That is an area I need to grow into. I did not know that you could actually buy meat from them. Yes, absolutely. But it makes sense. Uh, you place an order, uh, I think by Wednesday or Thursday, and on Friday, you can pick up your meat and make a payment at the same time. So I'm just making a pitch for yeah. you meat lab. So do a Google search. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check it out for next year because, yeah, I'm sure there'll be times where I want to, I mean, especially a lamb, like I can't think of a better a better place to get it. So that's good. You mentioned a few times that you've traveled, seems like all across the world. Um, what is your favorite food travel experience? My favorite food travel experience would have to be my visit to the uh, Korean, uh, South mm -hmm. Korean uh, restaurant, the traditional one, which I'm sitting down. And it was in downtown Seoul. And I still can't get those flavors off my mind. And yeah. in Korean food, you have several main dishes, but then you also have a lot of side dishes. And the one that uh, we just had yesterday before with my kids is LA Kalbi. It's very interesting. LA Kalbi is a dish that was developed in Los Angeles, but it's a Korean yeah. dish. Uh, Korea, you know, uh, uh, there's a Korea town in Los Angeles, and a lot of mm -hmm. Koreans came there. As a result, uh, they developed a dish that used Coca-Cola. So it has that sweetness taste in it uh, yeah. with some uh, Korean apple that is added to it. And so what is nice about the dish is that it uses beef short ribs. And so they're very thin short ribs that are cut across the bone. And you mm -hmm. marinate them in the, it's called the LA Kalbi sauce. That's still what it's called. Is even in Korea, they call it LA Kalbi. So you yeah. marinate that. And many times in Korean food, I in fact bought one of, that's what we used day before. You have to eat it outside or in the garage. You have a small little grill on which you have a plate that goes on top of it. And each person grills his or her own shot so, you know, you can do different kinds of, I, when we did it day before, I added to it, let's see, onions, carrots, cabbage, some um, uh, colored uh, peppers, as you can see in the dish back here. My family seems to like a lot of colored peppers and green peppers. Yeah. And so, you know, we would do that. And while the family was doing all that, uh, I, my, all my three kids were home at that time. And my dog was very excited because he knew there was going to be food around. And so I made tandoori chicken, uh, which is my mom's recipe. Uh, so while I was doing tandoori chicken on the grill, uh, they were all making their own LA Kalbi and eating it. So it was a great way nice. for the family to come together and just hang out. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I have been loving Korean food lately. I've tried mm -hmm. a bunch of it. Um, some of the best I had was here in Cincinnati. There's... Um, a little bit across the river, actually. Yes, in, in I have Kentucky. been there. I love that place. 
at Riverside Korean Restaurant is my favorite. Yes. Um, yes. And then there's plenty of others around here. Um, but I, I recently went to my first Korean barbecue um, up in Columbus at Goji Korean Barbecue on kind of the north side. Um, really recommend the, the experience. It was great. Just like you yeah. described. Yeah. Um, you just, you know, grill your own meat if you want. I got the hot stone bowl and it was fantastic. Had all, all the bunch on the different sides. And yeah, I love it. So much. That's right. There's so much interesting, you know, history and complex flavors that we don't really work with a lot in American food um, that I love in Korean food. And just like you mentioned, um, with the influence of like the LA Koreatown on Korea, I recently watched a video about that, that same thing of it's, it's, it's interchangeable. Like they kind of interact with each other in a weird way that right. things that, that have developed here in America and various Koreatowns sometimes make it all the way back to Korea. So it's really neat. Uh, my favorite uh, Korean restaurant uh, in Cincinnati is the one that you mentioned across the river. And, uh, but we make it a point that we sit, you know, when you enter, it's a very small restaurant, as you know, yeah. when you enter, they only have three or four sittings where you can sit down on the right-hand side. Have you ever had squatting down and eating on those low tables? I have not. I've unfortunately only gone once. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Try it again, but try to sit on the floor. The second yeah. one I like in Columbus is uh, Korean food that's cooked by grandmas. It is yeah. back of a grocery store called Arirang. Arirang is on Bethel okay. Road. It's a, it's only a Korean uh, uh, grocery store, at the back of which there are these grandmas that cook the best Korean food I have ever eaten. I thought it was even better than the one uh, in Seoul that I had because now I'm more, wow. I now understand more of what it is. And I think some of our favorite right. dishes that we have, my family, that's my family's favorite restaurant. Now keep in mind, we cook a lot of Indian food at home. So when we go out as a family, nobody wants to eat Indian food. That's not even on the table. Okay. Right. <laughs> that is not a, they'd rather eat at home than go out and eat Indian food. So typically Korean, Chinese, uh, Italian would be on our list. And our favorite dishes at mm. Adi Rang at the uh, little restaurant at the back. And they have a nice place where you can sit down and eat. Nothing fancy, but a nice place to eat or you can carry out is sundubu. And my favorite is pork sundubu. They also have beef uh, seafood sundubu, but that isn't. I really find that the Koreans really, really do pork very well. So my bias has typically has been towards that. And then they have mm. a very nice pork. Um, Pan-fried spicy pork is the name of the dish that they have. And we like that. And of course, LA Kalbi and the, you talked about the hot bowl with the rice and everything yeah. is, so it's, it's actually amazing food. But the first time I had Korean food, it kind of just captivated me. I'm still fascinated by Korean food. Yeah. I love it as well. Um, I just want to get, I want to find this place. So can you spell it out for me? Arirang, A-R-I, R-A. Oh, there it is. I found it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, back, I will put it. In the back, there is a small restaurant. That is awesome. Yes. and It's got, just this like yeah. Korean food mart and then I there's a restaurant. That's why, that's why these grandmas cook wow. it. And they are closed every Wednesday. Good to know. Okay. I will put that in the show notes. Um, what? Yeah. 
that is definitely going to make it on the list uh, the next time in Columbus. That's awesome. There's one thing no, but- that I wanted to share with you that I found out about Indian food that I think is mm-hmm. a misnomer out there. Any book on Indian cooking that mentions curry powder, I believe should be banned. Okay. <laughs> in Indian cooking, yeah. there is no curry powder. Let me say it again. In Indian cooking, there is no curry powder. There is garam masala and everything else, but there is no curry powder. It's amazing how many cookbooks that I have seen that claim to be authentic Indian cooking have (laughs) curry powder or curry masala. We never use it. I've never had it. And when I asked my mom, she's like, what is that? So, but I think it was used and it was made common by the British uh, who used that in Indian cooking. And so if you go to Britain, uh, sometimes, you know, you do some of the British cooks who do Indian cooking do use curry powder, but in traditional Indian cooking, it is not used, but in fusion cooking, yes, it is. Right. Yeah. It's Indian food is something that I am. I'm dipping my toes into and, and looking into a little bit more, but I know very little, but I do know that. I know that it's a lot more complicated than just curry powder. Yeah, uh, You sounded a little cautious, um, Jacob. I sense that in the way you said it, uh, wetting your toes. What is it that uh, is the spiciness, the amount of ingredients, or where, where do you think? Because the hesitation that you were talking about might be something your viewers also would be having towards Indian food. It's definitely, I'm not big on spicy food. Just, I'm pretty weak. Um, so it's that, but I enjoy um, the spices and the flavor of what I've had. Um, I kind of just need to go and have some good Indian food. I think there's a few good places in Columbus and there's one I know of around here. Um, but I'm definitely like uncomfortable to try and cook it at this point. Because uh, I feel like I won't be doing it its justice. So I, I definitely want to try some good uh, Indian food before I, I know what, try and make it. you know it. which is my favorite uh, uh, Indian restaurant in Columbus? No. It's my kitchen. <laughs> I have no idea. If you ask me what is a good Indian restaurant, I would have no idea. Because when I go out, we as a family never want to eat Indian food. So Right. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I, think, I don't know. I think there are books out there that um, would cater to less spicy food. My middle daughter, who is mm-hmm. UC Cincinnati, recently has developed a medical condition that requires her to eat less spicy food. Mm-hmm. So I am now and also less acid. So yeah. as, there is a lot of acid in Indian food. In Korean and Chinese, there can be, depending on the soy sauce. Right. I have now been learning to bring the spices down in terms of Indian food, so we can all eat together as a family when she visits. I also have noted that, for example, I have the reverse issue when I cook Italian food. And I remember when I cook Italian food, I generally have found the food to be somewhat bland for me, okay? Till I ran into one of my daughter's uh, mother who said, you know what I do? She said, I just double all the spices in Italian cooking. (laughs) And after I did it, 
It worked, exactly. I'm like, wow, where have I been? So it's very interesting that sometimes people tell you this one thing. So every time I make Italian cooking, I will always double the spices. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I think my hesitation towards Indian food is just like, it is so much flavor and I'm just not used to it in comparison to some of the definitely more bland food I, I typically eat. Yes. So I'm interested to try some more. There are some simple books and maybe offline I will send you some recommendations which talks about how to cook simple Indian cooking and maybe you can put some mm -hmm. of the notes up for your viewers. It might help them also. So. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. My next question is if you could re-experience one food for the first time, what would it be? Re-experience would have to be bees cooking. There is, there is no doubt. Yeah. There is absolutely. And I, I re-experienced it. I actually right. re-experienced after she had passed away because she had passed, passed that on to her daughter. And when I had the food beyond the smell, it was as if she had cooked it. And so in some ways, it would have to be Bee Gees cooking, but I actually relived it. And that's yeah. what the, and you know, I still remember that moment. And it is so precious that I don't want to repeat it because it was so special. Mm -hmm. And just standing outside, and I literally had tears in my eyes, you know, walking in because I'm like, how is that possible? How is it that I can smell exactly? the food that she used to cook. And I knew she wasn't there, but it felt mm -hmm. like she was just on the other side. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so sweet. That is the end of my questions, but it is time for a hot seat. Are you ready? Yes, I am always. Let's do it. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, it has to be strawberry, no chocolate. I'm not a that's, chocolate person. Yeah, that's a good choice. What's your favorite regional food in the United States? A regional food would have to be burgers. Spicy burgers. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always. That's... Mine is definitely Skyline Chili. Aha. Uh -huh. it's, it's definitely my, it's just, I, I actually, it's hard to beat. I actually love the chili from Wendy's. Absolutely yeah. love the chili from Wendy's. And my favorite coffee place, I never used to like McDonald's coffee. Now I think they have one of the best coffees. <laughs> and much cheaper than Star My kids are all buying Starbucks. It is a lot cheaper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love hey, Starbucks like coffee. It. Just because it, I find, sorry, uh, uh, McDonald's coffee. McDonald's. It's so good. And I love the chili from Wendy's. So I'm not a cheap, nice. I'm not a cheap date, but I love those foods. So. Hey, nothing wrong with that. What is your ideal breakfast? Oh, the ideal breakfast is a dish that my mom used to make that my dad loved. And we, uh, in my book, it is written as uh, Papa's eggs. And my kids, uh, in India, your grandpa is referred to as Dadu. And so my kids call it mm -hmm. Dadu eggs. So every couple of weeks, the kids will tell me, Dad, can you make Dadu eggs? You typically do it on a Sunday or a Saturday. Uh, it involves taking clarified butter. So when I cook Indian food, I only use clarified ghee or butter. Mm -hmm. And so it has a great smell, it has a very nutty smell, 
put some onions and garlic. And then to that, we add some uh, green peppers and some colored peppers. And then a little bit of tomatoes, some garam masala, some salt, some chili, along with some black pepper. And once that is kind of semi-cooked, then I kind of spread it around in the pan and then break on the top about six eggs. And then I cover those. And so it's cooking in itself. And I know that every time I cook it, I remember my dad, my mom remembers her husband, and my three kids remember their grandpa. That's awesome. So that's what we would typically do uh, on a Sunday. Uh, If we are together as a family, if I'm alone, uh, I would generally, uh, I love uh, boiled egg. So that's what I typically eat on a regular day with a glass of milk. Yeah. But when we are together as family, dadu eggs always is up there. So. Yes. That sounds like a great tradition. And if you could only have one for the rest of your life, would you have rice or pasta? Neither of those. Neither? No. I would eat wheat bread. Ooh. Yes, or what nice. you call roti or chapati. I would neither eat pasta, nor would I eat rice. I would eat the flatbread, you know, any kind of bread mm-hmm. I would eat. But I'm not a big fan of rice and all. Now, in that order, I would prefer rice over pasta. Sure. But if I wanted the ideal life, I would eat neither. I would eat wheat bread. <laughs> nice, yeah. Well, that's a good choice. Well, that is all the questions I had. Professor, anything else you want to say to our listeners before we head out? What I would like to say to your listeners is experiment, try it. But to try new foods, we first have to begin at a comfort level where you are not cooking exotic foods. And I still remember when I learned Chinese cooking, I I Googled saying easy Chinese cooking. That's what I did. And that is why I think whatever cooking you want to do, uh, one is to be able to take small baby steps and customize it to your own flavor. And second is not to um, worry about experimenting. Uh, There is a dish that I cook called Greek rice pilaf, which is made with a lot of oregano. I've learned that Greek food is oregano heaven, right? So when I do that, uh, the original dish only has chicken and rice. And I really love the rice because you take the rice and you kind of take the parboiled rice and you roast it. And that gives a certain flavor to it. But then I learned that if I roast it a little more than what the recipe calls for, it is, I find it to be much more flavorful and adding some vegetables. Mm -hmm. And so try and experiment. You know, each one of us has burnt dishes and that's okay. That's part of the learning process. But in the end, you've got to enjoy it from deep inside. Means I love, okay, I got to cook today. So what am I going to cook? Don't say, oh, I got to cook today. You know what I mean? So there's a difference between those two. And I think Mm -hmm. many of your own viewers and you yourself, Jacob, sound like somebody who is real excited that, uh, what do they say? You cook to live. Or you live to cook. Okay. I used to cook to live. Now I live to cook. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Season to Taste. If you enjoyed, go ahead and share it with one of your friends and tell them your favorite part. You can find me on Instagram at Season 2 Podcast. And special thanks to Adam Paddock for the music. <laughs>